It's often the source of daily frustration for a lot of us. And once in a blue moon, it's the place of great joy. But it's almost always the place where a lot of us are thinking, there's got to be a better way to do this. On this episode, the way to manage the dreaded task list. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 331. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. You've heard me say it many times before that we need to lead ourselves first if we're going to be effective at leading others. And One of those things that's a key competency for all of us as leaders, actually in really any any aspect of life, is our own productivity system. And in particular, how do we manage tasks? You have heard many references on this show and in conversations uh, with, uh, with others, of course, over the years on personal productivity and task management and time management. And we've done shows where we've looked at productivity before, but we have never really zeroed in on the critical nature of how to put together an effective task management system. And I am really glad to be able to welcome, uh, returning to the show, my friend Tim Stringer, who is an expert on personal task management. He is the founder of Technically Simple, which he founded back in 2003. For almost 15 years, he's been teaching people to be more effective in their approaches to technology, productivity, and mindfulness. And he is also, in my opinion, one of the world's leading experts on using task management systems, and is the founder of LearnOmniFocus.com, the premier site for teaching OmniFocus users how to be productive as possible. He also has a black belt in karate and has been teaching yoga for 18 years. Tim, is there anything you don't do? Yeah, it's getting to be a pretty long list there, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely someone who loves variety, and um, I think everything everything you just mentioned uh, is very complementary to each other and. and that's that's really uh, the way I live my life is to to make sure I'm giving appropriate amount of attention to each each area of life and just to bring a, a sense of productivity to all areas. Tim has been a real teacher to me in task management uh, over the years. Tim and I talk regularly, and we were talking recently, Tim, and we sort of both came to this conclusion. You've been on the show a couple times before, but never on the topic of personal task management, which is what really your area of expertise is. And I'm I'm really excited for this conversation just to learn what you see when you're working with corporate customers and when you're coaching individuals and in your courses and and just some of the best ideas that we can implement. And I, I think maybe we should start from before we even get into some of the weeds with task management, two things. First of all, we're not going to really talk very much about technology today. Of course, there are a lot of technology apps and systems you can use out there, but we're going to really talk more on the strategy. And so we'll mention a few tech suggestions at the end here, and certainly Tim has an expertise in a number of them. Uh, But we're going to look at this more from the 30,000-foot level. So even if you're using paper and pencil, and I know a lot of people are, how do you put together a task management system that's really going to work for you? And then I think the other thing, Tim, is um, maybe let's just start with talk about the distinction between planning versus doing, um, because before we even get into this, that probably bears some exploration of uh, how do you see that distinction in your work? 
I think it's very important just in general to to approach task management in a very technology kind of agnostic way where it's really about developing skills and and these skills will you know will be useful 20 years from now 50 years from now there there's certain sort of practices that are timeless and the technologies are there to to make them more convenient but they never never replace that step of of learning and practicing the skills and to get to your question about planning planning versus doing i think that's a really key distinction and one that people tend to collapse and planning is really about, um, as I had a guest on Learn OmniFocus recently, he called it boss mode, which I thought was a really, really clever way of putting it. So boss mode is really deciding what your future self is going to be doing. It's like, kind of like giving tasks to your future self. And and this includes things like, uh, you know, reviewing the opportunities that are present, um, looking what's landed on your plate. Maybe there's some emails that have come into your inbox and and just taking time to not necessarily do anything with those, but to say, okay, how does this fit into the the big picture of my life and work? And then the doing side is what this guest called the the worker mode, and this is where someone's actually getting down to getting things done, getting things accomplished, and moving forward. And when we're in that mode, we probably don't want to be doing too much planning um, because we're exercising different parts of the brain. The planning is more of a creative, it's more of a right-brained activity. The doing is more logical, left-brained activity. And in most cases, I think it makes sense to keep those separate. And that's that's where we're going to have the most impact. So the key for us is we actually need to do both. So for each individual person, we need to put ourselves into boss mode and make some decisions about what we're going to do. And then we've got our worker mode, which I'm I'm guessing for most of us is probably where we're spending most of our time during the work week in. But if we don't take that time to plan first, then the worker mode becomes a lot less effective. So part of what I'm curious about too is, you know, people come to you all the time and are looking for ways to put together systems. When someone's designing the system or maybe improving their system, what are the key elements around productivity and task management that really need to come together as a starting point for most people? Well, when I'm working with people for the first time, pretty much every every time I'm working with a new client, we'll, we'll start off by mind mapping their their areas of focus, as David Allen calls them, their, their horizon two. And this is basically looking at everything they're responsible for, including different aspects of their work, their health, their kids, their their relationship with their spouse, whatever it is that they're assuming some responsibility for. And I find this is a really essential step because it's pretty hard to design a system without knowing what the system is there to track versus having this this map to say, okay, this is this is what my life looks like in terms of my responsibilities and what's important to me. And then the system can naturally naturally grow from that. And then from there, it's a matter of saying, okay, what do I actually... What facilities do I need within my system? So I need a way to keep track of my tasks and my projects. Uh, I need a way to keep track of my appointments. And I think everybody has a, has a calendar at this point. And then the third would be I need a place to keep track of things that are referenced, things that um, are maybe going to be useful as I'm going through a project or they might be ideas for future projects, things like that. And... Sometimes there's a system uh, that incorporates all three of those or technology that incorporates all three, but very often they're they're quite separate and, and they 
either way, they're very distinct parts of the system that I think need to be treated as distinct. So we've got the when, the what, and the ideas. As people put together a system like this, what do you find is helpful in getting people in the practice of making those three things distinct? Well, it's really, but the key is making sure that when ideas come, when they make commitments to do things or be places and so forth, that there's a place to put that. And that becomes a well-established habit of, okay, I, I just had a thought about something, I know exactly where to do it, versus that sort of additional stress of having something that needs to be put into a system and, and having to really stop and think more than a few seconds about what where do I actually put this thing, what do I do with it? So you've decided in advance of when a, when a task comes in or an email or a request or you just think about something, you know exactly where it's going to go so that the system can capture it pretty easily and you can be pretty efficient. And it, it sounds like if you've done some thinking about that in advance, then it becomes very effortless and very frictionless to be able to get that in. And I, and I want to ask you some more about that because I, I, David Allen calls that, from Getting Things Done, calls that the capture process. What have you seen work well for people around capturing all kinds of things that are coming into their lives, phone calls, requests, emails? What works for people? Um, I don't think there's really one one answer to that question that's going to work for everybody. For some people, just capturing onto paper actually works really well because it doesn't require, you don't have to boot up your pad of paper, you don't have to launch any apps, things like that. And and I regularly have a pad of paper sitting on my desk, even though I'm largely paperless, just because if nothing else, I know I can just grab that and start scribbling. And at that point, I don't really need to decide what to do with that thing. I can put it into my inbox. And for people who don't have a, a paper inbox of some sort, I highly recommend getting something that you treat as a capture into your system. And then very often I'll capture things electronically. I'll put it into my task manager through a keyboard shortcut. And that's become muscle memory at this point. So it's really about getting clear on what are all the inputs into the system? What are all the possible places that I can get ideas and requests and and potentially useful information? And just having a, a process for making sure that those get added into the system and where those are ultimately added will likely depend on what it is. I know one of the complaints about, especially the digital solutions out there in the apps is like, I get all these things into my app and then it disappears and I never see it again. Or I've got 10,000 things listed in my app that I was supposed to do and I'm not paying attention to any of them now. How do you help people think about what's next? Like once you've captured everything and that either it's on paper or it's in an app or some version of the two, what's what's the process of processing that? Yeah, the key is getting back to putting the the most appropriate information in the tools that are designed for that. So an example, like when people, I work with, with a lot of people who are getting their task management systems going and people who have been using it for a while, especially, they'll often show up and they'll have hundreds of tasks in their inbox and then they'll have projects that are kind of a mixture of ideas and things that they might do someday mixed in with, you know, urgent things that need to be done by five o'clock this evening and so forth. So the the first thing we do is essentially a triage. Sometimes they'll even start from scratch and they'll just kind of triage all of the stuff that they've 
had in their system up until then. And it's a matter of deciding, does this actually belong in the task management system? Is this an idea to be considered later? In which case I would put it into more of the repository I mentioned earlier. And is this something that that is clearly defined in terms of is the action to be taken very clear and is the outcome that I'm working towards, is that really well defined? So the the task manager, the simplest way I've, I've come up with expressing it is to say, make it a sacred space. So anything that goes in there is taking some of your time and energy and those are resources that are limited by nature. So it, they kind of need to earn their way into it. They, they need to be well-defined. They need to be something that represents a good use of time and energy versus just kind of arbitrarily putting things in there and hoping at some point they'll be done, which doesn't tend to go too well. And I know you use OmniFocus for your um, task management. What What's the decision point for you, Tim, on what stays in the task manager versus what might go into that repository like in Evernote or Notes or even on physical paper in a file somewhere? The It's really the distinguishing factor is, is, is this something I'm going to be working on right away or in the near future, or is this just something I'm considering working on? And the things that I'm considering working on, I definitely want to capture those ideas because sometimes those can turn into just amazing projects and outcomes down the road. But it's really deciding, do I have the capacity to to take this on given what I'm already committed to? Or is this something to review next quarter, let's say, and just say, you know, is this of the 30 things that I could do, is this one of the ones that is the best use of my time and energy? Just being really clear that you can't do it all. As David Allen says, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And just deciding what are those things that are going to take that that sacred time and energy that that um, means maybe saying no to some of that other stuff. I get the sense that one of the downfalls to using a task management system and a, and a list is how we process due dates. And I put myself in this category too, because I feel like this is something I'm still struggling with. And and what to put on the list that's really due today and what isn't. And I, I know, I, and I've seen, and I've done this myself where I've got, okay, here's all the things I'm going to do on Tuesday. And there's 40 things on the list that I've said are due for Tuesday. How do you coach people around how to use due dates or daily task lists with, with respect to time? Yeah, so the the due, I recommend treating due as to indicate that this project or this task needs to be completed by this date. Otherwise, there's going to be consequences. So if I said to you, I'll send you the recording of this podcast by the end of the day today, and I don't send it today, then there's a consequence in terms of my integrity. I promised something and I didn't deliver. Or if the taxes are due on a certain date and I don't pay them, there might be a consequence in terms of having to pay interest and so forth. So I recommend keeping due dates only for those things where there's a consequence. And then it's due dates are something to be taken seriously. If if a due date gets missed, then, then that's probably what gets the, the full attention to say, okay, what do I need to do to, to clean this up? You know, is there an opportunity to ask for more time or something like that? For everything else, it's really a matter of deciding, uh, you know, what, what belongs on what day. Um, I like the idea of having a menu of items to pick from on a given day, but also to have some that are, that are flagged, some that are given a little more uh, emphasis than others. 
like an OmniFocus, I would put a flag on the things I'd like to get done today, even though they're not actually due. And most task management systems have won some way of flagging or tagging something to to give a little ex- extra attention. And then it's a matter of saying, okay, I need to flag no more than, let's say, 10 to 15 items at a time. Otherwise, it becomes a bit meaningless, that whole notion of flagging. Um, and then work through that list. And once I've got all those done, then I can go back and say, okay, what's what's next? What are some more things that I can flag? One sort of uh, old school way of doing this is to just write the three most important areas to focus on onto a post-it note and stick it to your computer monitor or wherever you're gonna gonna be seeing it. And then as you're going through the day, you know, just glancing at that and just kind of checking in and saying, you know, have I actually been giving this the attention it deserves today? It's sometimes easier to have that visual cue, something right in front of us, instead of, you know, relying on going to the task manager and looking to see, you know, what have I checked off? And, and that's one of the big challenges of technology is it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, and and it's very easy to ignore the task manager, calendar, other parts of your digital system. Whereas if you have something literally staring you at the face that uh, is not a, a window that you're going to close down, then uh, then it can be really, really good for keeping things aligned. I know people who do exactly that. They don't even have an app or a, really a task management system, but they've got something visually that they write down. And it's two or three things they're going to work on that day. And actually, that's better. If you do that consistently, that's better than having like the perfectly synced technology system. If you do, if you execute that on consistently, it's um, that simplicity can be really, really powerful. So that's 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 key. There's an aspect that you use, and I know many of the time management gurus like David Allen use of of doing some kind of a, a regular review. How do you do that, Tim? And what do you find works well for people around a task management system? Yeah, so it's really become a established ritual for me to do a, a morning and an evening review. And the morning review is is really just looking at what's on my menu of available actions, and I I might might flag a few of those. And then another really important piece is actually looking at the calendar. And I can't tell you how many times this has uh, made my life easier just by looking to see what's coming in the future. And even spending 30 seconds looking at the calendar in the morning, it's amazing just the, the cues that can come from that. And then uh, at the end of the day, I do an evening review. Uh, morning one takes about five minutes. The evening review takes, I'd say, about five to 10 minutes. And the evening review, I'll just go back and look at uh, what's left on my available list. Um, do I want to potentially do some more things in the evening, knock off a few more tasks? I also look at the calendar again, looking forward to especially what's coming up tomorrow. Am I ready for, for everything that's coming? I'll look at what uh, tasks I'm going to put on my my list for, for tomorrow. And I find it can be really useful to, to uh, start the day you know, having some plan in place, even though that can change, but have given that some thought the day before versus sitting down at my desk in the morning and just, you know, looking at this list of tasks and trying to decide what to do with it. So some advanced planning the day before, I think works really well. I also look at what I did for the day. And I think that can be very helpful as well, just to say, did I spend the did I make good use of my time today? Um, you know, if I had a do-over, would I have done things differently? And sometimes I'll think there's a day where I didn't actually get that much done. But when I look at 
you know, what I've actually done, it, it really uh, is gratifying to say, okay, I actually really did a lot today. Or maybe it didn't seem like heavy and significant stuff, but I created a space for deeper work because I kind of cleared the decks of some more trivial things. So that's the daily review. And then um, I also do a more in-depth weekly review, which is more about looking at the bigger picture and making sure that all my inboxes are processed. It's kind of a safety net um, making sure I'm looking forward to the, the future and kind of pausing to say is is my time and energy going into productive things that are really aligned with who I am and what I'm up to in the world or am I kind of going off on tangents and, and just using that to kind of assess. And that can take anywhere from an hour to two hours, I would say. And sometimes I won't just do it in one sitting. I might spread it out over the day, which I find works really well for me. More so than anyone else I know, you've probably seen more people's task management systems and what works and what doesn't. Uh, We've hit on some of the common pitfalls already, but I'm curious, what are some of the common things you see that people struggle with that we haven't mentioned yet that would be helpful for folks to be thinking about as they're putting together a task management system? Yeah, I think we've touched on most of them. Uh, key one is putting too much stuff in there. And even if even if they are actionable items, if the task management system gets overloaded, it tends to break down. So it's really differentiating the, these are the things that it would be nice to do versus these are the things that I need to do or that are really important for me to do. So having kind of a parking lot for things to consider in the future, you could call it a maybe a someday maybe list to use the, the GTD uh, term. Overuse of due dates is definitely a really big one. I've seen people that have got like 300 due dates because there was all kinds of things that they they said, okay, I really want to make this, get this done by Friday, so I'm going to make it due on Friday. But then Friday came and went and there wasn't any real consequence of them not doing it and it ended up just kind of staying on there. Maybe maybe they thought if they have all these overdue ones, it might be <laughs> might make them feel bad enough that they'll actually do it. But I find it's quite the opposite. And then the third really common one is just really thinking through the, is the task detailed enough to to take action on it without really having to think about it? And not going crazy to say, okay, if you're hanging a painting on the wall, you might say, first step is to pick up the hammer, and then the next step is to pick up the nail. And you could break it down to the point where it becomes tedious and cumbersome. But if your task is to hang a picture on the wall, you might want to ask yourself, do I have everything I need? Do I actually own a hammer? And if you didn't own a hammer, then um, you know, you'd have another task to go to the hardware store and buy one. Or if you were me, you'd probably spend an hour researching the best hammers out there. But it's <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of like, uh, yeah, just kind of looking at it and saying, is this something that my future self is going to find very useful in my worker self? Uh when they actually get down to work, they want to have as specific information as possible. They don't want to be thinking about it at that point. That gets back yeah. to that boss worker analogy of rather than sitting there in the moment and trying to think through all the things you should be doing or the resources you need, you do that once, maybe you do it once a day, maybe you do it once a week, depending on the review. And you think through all those things, at least to the best you can. And then when you're in worker mode, you're just executing. So you're going to the next thing on the list and you've blocked the time. You've already thought through the tasks. So you just, you're a lot more efficient. You're not stopping and having to think critically about what's the next step at every moment. Exactly. Yeah. Said another way, it's when you're in boss mode is how can I make life easiest for my worker self when I when I go into that mode. And that can include things like if your task is to review a document, um, 
let's say the document's in Google Docs, maybe you could have a link to that document right within the task. Or if the task is to phone someone, put their phone number right in the task. So anything that reduces the friction, it gets, allows the worker to do things with the, the minimal amount of effort. Um, that's a, a good sign that the, the boss mode, the, the planning is really going well. I, I used to think a lot of that stuff was hooey, Tim, like getting the phone number in and and, and not putting on the due dates because like, oh, you know, I don't need the psychological motivation or whatever to do that. I'm just going to work through the list. But it really does make a difference. Like when it's all there, when it's been thought through, the at least for me, the chances I'm going to just not do it go down substantially if it's frictionless and I can just move through things really quickly if I've done that thinking. So I... It's it's easy to dismiss that, but it's it's such such a critical step, at least for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and yeah, and it's and it's it makes things more efficient ultimately. Like the the amount of time spent doing that task is reduced from maybe from five minutes to one minute or something like that, and and you get enough of those in the day, and it can can really make an impact. Uh, just one other thing to mention, kind of alongside that, is uh, make extensive use of repeating repeating tasks. So there's certain things that I just need to do regularly, and it can be something as trivial as putting more business cards in my wallet so I don't show up at a meeting and don't have any business cards. And and it seems this happens at least half of the time when I'm when I meet someone they don't have business cards, and so and that maybe creates some embarrassment and maybe it's some extra work because they got to follow up with that person and so forth. So I I think of all of the things that need to happen that I don't want to be thinking about. And the task manager is a great place to put those. Checking my voicemails, processing voicemails, because I'd sometimes find I'd get a voicemail but not go back and look at it. So I have a, a daily action, which is just process voicemails. And if there's nothing there, I mark it complete. And if there is something in there, I might create a task to to maybe call that person back or something like that. That is one of those areas where a, the technology um, and the apps can certainly help and make things a little more automated. And that is one uh, final thing I want to ask you about too is, um, you know, we, we're talking about the process and the strategy you'd use for any system. Uh, since you spend so much time with technology, Tim, and teach people how to use uh, a lot of these apps, what are, I'm curious, like, what are the ones you would recommend for most people that you find allow for the kind of systems we've been talking about today and, and context and tagging um, that you find that are most helpful out there right now? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, as a personal task manager, I'm definitely a, a huge fan of OmniFocus. Uh, that's something I've been using myself for years, and I have a whole community built around that. And it's really designed around getting things done. So it's um, it's a very rich, feature-rich app. There's a you know a bit of a learning curve. It can be used in a very simple way, but it can also be used in a, a more elaborate way. But I think for people who are on Mac and iOS who have you know a lot going on, that can be a, an excellent choice. I also uh, work with quite a few people with Todoist as well, which in some ways is not as uh, feature-rich as OmniFocus, but it does have the advantage of being able to use it on multiple platforms. So it can be used on Mac and iOS and Android and Windows, anything with a, a web browser, really, you can access your database. So that that's a really nice system as well. In terms of information repositories, um, I've been using Evernote uh, since its beta days, and and that remains one of my favorite ways to capture certain types of information, especially um, especially sort of uh, someday maybe type things, or if I'm traveling, that's where I'll keep my travel information. I'll have that stored within the Evernote. If I'm doing research, it's, they've got a really nice web clipper where you can take a blog post or a link to a website or a video or something like that and stored in the Evernote database in a way that's very easy to um, to retrieve it. 
beyond that, you know, finding a calendar you enjoy using, whether it's Outlook or the native calendar that comes with it. And then configuring it to the point that's one part of the work that I do is just helping people take an existing solution and deciding, you know, how they want to organize it, how they want to group projects into folders, or let's say it's using Outlook, you know, what categories they'd want to use for their calendar items and and how to take emails and turn them into tasks and so forth. So it's, I think, in a sense, any system can work. The choice of system really comes down to what you're most motivated to use and what offers enough functionality that it's going to be as quick and convenient to use as possible. So OmniFocus, worth a look if you're on a Mac. Uh, Todoist for any platform, really, web-based. And then it sounds like Outlook, you can do a lot on Outlook if for those who are on corporate systems and have access to Outlook with the calendar and task management to make a lot of this happen too. And then, of course, as we mentioned all along the way, there's a number of different paper and pencil systems out there. There's a number of journals out there. Um, I'm going to link up to a few of them that I know of. I don't use personally, but I've heard a number of recommendations from our Academy members that are using things like the Bullet Journal and some of the other options that are out there. If you're a paper paper and pencil person, we're going to have some options listed here on the show notes as well as some of the other um, some of the other apps and resources we're not having a chance to talk about here. Uh, Tim, this is fabulous. I really appreciate you taking the time to teach us on this. Um, and one of the things I'd, I'd really recommend too, if your organization's looking to bridge the gap between productivity best practices and actually putting those things into practice, uh, Tim is a great resource for courses and coaching for your organization. Um, he does a lot of that work online as well. Uh, Tim, can, can you share a bit about how you do that and, and how you approach that with organizations that are looking at getting better at this? Yeah, sure. So I've got a uh, a course I currently offer it in person. I'm going to be transitioning into something I offer through Zoom in a video conference format. Uh, but basically, the course has two parts. Um, it's either done over two half days or is a, a full day. And the first part is really about the understanding the productivity methodologies, uh, best practices for dealing with information as it comes in, you know, why we procrastinate and how to how to go beyond procrastination, things like that. And then the second half is really about using the technology effectively. And I'll customize that based on the, the technology that an organization is using. So if, if they've standardized on... Google Docs or on uh, G Suite or on Outlook or whatever it is, um, I'll, I'll gear the information towards that. But I find in general that's something people find a challenge with. They've maybe read Getting Things Done and they love the concepts, but then they uh, kind of get a little little lost in the, the, the jungle of options that are out there. And so I'm a, a bit of a Sherpa in terms of helping people to, to navigate the various options, I'll, I'll help them to choose, uh, you know, what might work best for them if they're, if they haven't already chosen the technology. And if they have, I'll uh, work with them to help configure in a way that works for them and for the team. Tim, you are a Sherpa indeed, my friend. Uh, I really appreciate you teaching us some of the core concepts of this. Um, and by the way, for those of you who happen to be OmniFocus users like me, uh, I'd certainly recommend checking out LearnOmniFocus.com for uh, you know, entire, I think it's uh, entire year membership on learnomnifocus.com while all the training is less than purchasing the app. So if you, uh, if you haven't checked that out already, uh, it's a great resource for making the most of that system. Tim, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, your time and uh, teaching us how to do this better. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure to be back on Coaching for Leaders and thanks for all the, the great work that you do as well, Dave. I, I definitely benefit from, uh, from listening to all your episodes and the, all the guests that you have on. So many thanks. 
Thank you, Tim. And in the spirit of more productivity, as of today, Monday, January 8th, 2018, applications for the Coaching for Leaders Academy are again open just for this week. They're going to close again this Friday, January 12th. So just five days. If you'd like to learn more, you can find tons of details on the Academy, logistics, tuition, organization sponsorship, all at coachingforleaders.com slash academy right now. However, I'd like to invite you to do something else first that will bring you immediate value this week, and that's to make an effective decision around something that's on your plate right now. This Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I'm inviting you, and yeah, I really do mean you, I'd like you to join me and other members of our listening community via live video conference to participate in a collaborative discussion with two to three other listeners on how you can make a better decision on something that's in front of you right now. If you elect to participate, at least three things you'll gain from the experience. First is you're going to get objective perspective from other leaders on what you may want to consider doing with the decision that you have in front of you right now. Yeah, we're going to listen, give you some input, some advice, maybe even a bit of coaching from two to three other leaders in our listening community, and you'll walk away with some new perspectives that will help you to make a better decision. Secondly, you're going to get to help a few other people do the same thing. Uh, I'm going to get you paired up with a few other listeners in our community and ask you to in turn listen well ask a few questions, and offer some perspective from your experience that may help someone else. And plus, you're going to get to meet a few other listeners that are part of our global Coaching for Leaders community. And finally, if you've been wanting to discover more about the Coaching for Leaders Academy, this is a great way to do it since it'll give you a taste of how our Academy interactions work uh, through meeting by video conference. I'll share a bit more about the Academy during the forum and the logistics involved. It is completely free to participate. Here's what you need to do to grab a spot. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com slash decision. So again, that's coachingforleaders.com slash decision. When you get to that page, you'll see different options for timing of the virtual forum this Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Regardless of where you are in the world, there's almost certainly a time that'll work for you. Once you register, you'll get all the details on what to expect during the live 75-minute session with me and your fellow Coaching for Leaders listeners. Again, completely free, a chance for you to interact live with me this week and other listeners, and most importantly, get input on how you might make a better decision coming up. Also, a great chance to discover more about the Academy. So because it's live and I'm getting people in the small groups for this when we get online, just limited spaces available. So if you are interested in participating, go right now to Coaching for Leaders dot com slash decision. And I look forward to seeing many of you live this week. Now, a few related episodes to today's conversation with Tim Stringer. Tim and I have known each other for several years. We talk at least monthly, sometimes more than that. Uh, We've been involved in a mastermind group together for a long time. He's been a regular guest on the show. Uh, He has taught me so much about productivity, and I'm just so grateful to him for the perspective he's not only brought today, but has really been influential to me and so 
many ways over the last few years. And I want to point you to episode number 151. It was the first time Tim was on the show talking about how to be more productive, a broader conversation than today. But we talked about uh, some of the core tenets of productivity. Uh, Tim talked a little more about his background, including how he worked through uh, his battle with cancer and used productivity in order to do that and some of the systems we talked about today. Uh, It's a great episode. Episode 151 is a wonderful complement to today's conversation. Also, I'd suggest checking out episode number 180 titled Do This for a Productive Week. In that episode, I walk through in detail how I use, use the process of a weekly review in order to plan out my weeks in detail. I've changed a little bit since that episode aired, but the core principles are still really exactly the same. Uh, If you would like to begin doing that and really taking a more regular approach to how you plan on a weekly basis, uh, episode 180 is a great starting point. Included in that episode is a download of my weekly review template. So I certainly encourage you to check that out if that's of interest. Uh, Also, we mentioned in today's conversation, David Allen, author of Getting Things Done, probably uh, the world's foremost authority on productivity. David was on episode 184 titled Getting Things Done with David Allen. We talked about some of the core tenets on the Getting Things Done philosophy. Uh, David took questions from our listening community. If you have uh, looked into Getting Things Done or maybe you've considered that as an option for your productivity system, episode 184 is a must listen. And then finally, episode 319, how to stop, actually the title is (laughs) The Way to Stop Spinning Your Wheels on Planning. That was late last year. I aired that episode, talked in detail about how I handle annual planning, but also how I break it down into quarters. I walk through the entire system for that. So those four episodes, uh, that's going to give you a pretty strong foundation for your own productivity system and lots of ideas on how to tackle it. So I hope you'll check those out. If you want to visit any of those past episodes, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number, and that'll get you right there with all the details, the downloads, the links, and of course, the audio. And next week, I am really pleased to welcome back to the show, Daniel Pink. He is the New York Times bestselling author of a number of books, including Drive, one of my favorite business books over the last decade. He's going to be returning to the show to share the scientific secrets of perfect timing. Dan has a book coming out this week uh, called When. It's a fascinating book, and we're going to be talking about it in detail next Monday. So definitely join us for that. Thank you so much to Peru in Hong Kong and Fazil.gum in the UK. Thank you so much for the kind reviews you both left on iTunes. I so appreciate it. By the way, so many of you left ratings on iTunes over the holidays for the show. If you did that, thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you'd like to leave a rating or review for the show, go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. I look forward to seeing many of you this week in the virtual forum, coachingforleaders.com slash decision. Have a great weekend. See you later.